You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien, and today I have pediatrician Rebecca Diamond. Um, she is in New York. She went to med school at Mount Sinai, then went and did a residency in Michigan and came back to New York, um, where she is a hospital-based pediatrician. And I, I don't talk about kids stuff often, but so many of my listeners and um, followers on Instagram are, are moms and have kids. And so I definitely felt like now, um, there's just millions of questions floating around. We're back trying to get back to school and just wanted to get, um, some advice from, from a pediatrician. So she has an awesome account on Instagram called parent, like a pediatrician. Um, if you guys want to give her a follow, but yeah, Rebecca, thank you for coming Dr. Diamond. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, how's it going? How's your life? How's how's t- today's election day? Or no, yesterday was election day. We're so we're like still in purgatory this morning when we're right. recording. Still the waiting game. Um, and times are crazy, but you know things have been going okay. I definitely am hanging in there. Um, with my family, I've been lucky to have a nice setup. I'm in the suburbs of New York, and I'm still working in the hospital, which is in Washington Heights in Manhattan. Um, and then when I'm not doing that, I am. On Instagram, like you just said, I'm trying to help parents um, kind of navigate these crazy times um, as best we can, listening to science and not ditching it completely, but also being more realistic because not everything's going to be going according to official guidelines as we go through these unprecedented times. Right. And guidelines, I think we forget are just guidelines, right? They're not rules, they're guidelines. And so it's hard to navigate, I feel like, what we see as data and guidelines but then in reality like what are what am I actually doing as a parent may look different yeah and that you know that sort of is the whole impetus behind what I've been doing I you know I trained in residency in Michigan I started out without a kid um, and really did recite those guidelines pretty by the book I remember a lot of the conversations I had with families telling them telling them like, yes, you must exactly watch 30 minutes of TV a day or sure, you like exclusive breastfeed, do not do that overnight bottle. And then I had my daughter, I had a pretty rough pregnancy and I had postpartum anxiety and depression, which I like to be really open about because it's common and it's real. And and I remember going to the pediatrician and, and, you know, hearing the same guidance I was giving and just being like, whoa, we are not on the same page. I am like barely functioning right now. Can you tell me what I need to know, like, what, what is the range of things I can be doing that, that keep me surviving, but also keep my daughter safe. Um, So you have one daughter or do you have other children? No, I just have one daughter. Feels, feels like a lot right now. (laughs) Um, So for parents who have more, I'm very impressed. God bless you. I have two and I'm like, oh gosh, you know what? I'm all set. I'm good. I'm, I I like always thought I wanted four and I'm like, you know what? Two's fine. Two's great. Yeah. Well, I'm impressed with two. I'm sure it's more than double the work. I have one very bright and energetic toddler who's turning three soon and has enough energy kind of for everyone in this house right now. Three-year-olds, let me tell you something. Wherever the terrible twos came from, I don't know because three is 
a disaster. Like, these people are <laughs> terrorists, and that's all there is to it. <laughs> well, I always say um, I don't negotiate with toddlers. I, I mean, I <gasps> absolutely agree with you on that. They are they're fierce, but, you know, it's all developmentally appropriate. I, I have to remind myself of that. They are learning how to navigate a world they can't control. They're learning how to assert their willpower. All these things you really want, mm. um, but, my goodness, they make you work for it. Oh, man. It's, it's rough. <laughs> and so what, you guys are in New York. What's your situation? Are you, is your daughter in school or daycare, or what are you guys doing now? Yeah, she's she's not. Um, she was doing part time daycare and and part time. We have an, am- an amazing nanny yeah. in the spring, and you know New York famously was hit really hard by right. COVID in March and April, and it was kind of unclear what that would look like for my work and you know just just our whole situation. So I very quickly went to a full time nanny, which I'm just very aware of my privilege to have that and my yeah. ability to afford that and find someone who's so loving and wonderful. Um, and it's really just from a risk benefit perspective in my, you know, situation, it doesn't make sense for me to go back to daycare or, or preschool like that. I, I think the, you know, even the safety risks, even if they're pretty can- contained are, are going to be more than just, you know, whatever decreased mm-hmm. socialization she has now. Yeah. yeah. And she's so little. I mean, so what, what do you, I'm sure you get asked constantly by parents what to do about school. Yeah. I mean, I do. That's probably the most common question I get um, from friends and, and Instagram and just patients. Everyone is, right. should I do daycare? Should I do play dates? Should I do school? Um, a lot of places in New York don't have that option. They're either all virtual or, you know, they, they haven't really presented you with these tough choices. Um, so there is a certain, as I mentioned, privilege of being able to agonize over that, um, which, you know, not to say that it's not a struggle, um, but it is nice to know that if you're worrying about things like that, you're already in a in a place where your kid is right. being loved and taken care of and all of those things. Um, I think it looks different for each family, of course. Some people have work situations that it's just not going to be tenable. Some people yeah. have financial situations where it's not going to be tenable to have a full-time nanny. Yeah. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, so I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I've been helping parents really follow their instincts. I think the thing I get the most is... I feel pressured to go back in person or I feel like it's somehow necessary for development, but it just doesn't feel quite right. Right. Or, or I, I just don't quite feel safe or I have someone in my house that I'm worried about and, and am I depriving them of something, of, you know, something super developmentally, you know, necessary yeah. um, by not going back to that normal routine. And I think that's the, the place where I can come in and say, you know, kids are so resilient. I, right. I beca- I've become a broken record with that, but they really are, especially when they're younger, but really at any age. It's not to say the struggles aren't going to be real. I mean, kids are suffering. Families are suffering. This is really hard. Yeah. But the idea that there isn't a way to thrive in even these really challenging situations without a very specific, like, Western academic structure, I think is not true. Right. Um, so just just be kind to yourself you know, and, and realize the decision that feels right for your family probably is right. Right. Your kid is going to have a roof over their head. They're going to have parents or a parent or caretakers who love them. You know, they're going to be able to explore the world around them. Hopefully they'll get a play date or two. It might have masks on. That's okay. Um, yeah. It's super interesting yeah. too. I mean, it's play dates. I mean, we didn't do that for so long and it, I feel like that everything is ever evolving and we also have to kind of remember 
there may be times when we don't have play dates for a couple of mm-hmm. weeks or months or whatever. We, you know, the kids may be in and out of school. I, we just don't know because everything is kind of constantly changing. Yeah. No, I think that's the hardest is it's not even that these challenges are here, but it's that they're so in flux and they are so constantly changing. And I, I was just reflecting the other day, like, oh man, as numbers are going up around the country, we might have another another time where we're either in full lockdown or we're really saying no to play dates. Yeah. And I feel like, oh my gosh, I just got here. I just yeah. finally opened yeah. up to to getting some semblance of normal. And so I think that's really hard to feel like even when you make progress, it might just be a temporary window. Yeah. Um, I will say my daughter ha- is handling this much better than I am, which I'm sure is probably the Absolutely. sentiment. Absolutely. <laughs> around the country. My kids just went back to school, and they're, they're there three days a week. We, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to be five, but now they're three, and, and I'm so thankful for that. And even <laughs> I was like, these kids have to go back to school. Oh, my God, this is killing us. And then yesterday, my daughter was like, I don't want to go to school. It's boring. And I was like, yes, you do. You love school. Like, what, you know, we've been like, waiting every year. We've been waiting so much for this. I know. Right. It's like, what are you talking about? And they're like, it's, it's me. Like, I have to recognize that, like you said, the kids are resilient. Like, they actually are going to be fine. It's not yeah. ideal, but they are going to be fine. For, now, for the most part, I will say, I want to talk a little bit about you know, kids that are now there, there is a huge problem. Like it. So ultimately I think both of us would agree. Like we want kids to be back in school. That's ideal, but it's really, it's really hard. And for a lot of kids, school is a safe place. And Mm -hmm. uh, so my brother, I don't know if you know this, my brother and dad are both pediatricians. Um, but my brother, my, (laughs) my little brother, who's, he's, we're now old enough that he's a physician, so I shouldn't call him that anymore, but it's true, my little brother. Um, and he keeps sending us, we're in this group text with, because my husband's a physician too, and so we have like a medical family text, and he keeps sending us these cases where he's like, you know, I saw a kid back today after six months who's gained, you know, 70 pounds since March. Yeah. And you're yeah. just like, oh my God, it's, that's, that it, that's devastating. And those are the kind of things that worry I think us as in healthcare about, yeah, are they going to be fine? Yes. But are, you know, maybe they're not getting enough at home or maybe they're getting too much in terms of like food right. and exercise and interaction. So it is, it's extremely difficult. But so what would you say to adults that desperately want kids to go back to school? Like, okay, well, how, what's the best way to make that happen? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So first I totally agree. And I think the risk of my kind of, which I think is appropriate reassurance that the vast majority of kids are going to be all right. And in the long term, it's going to be generally okay. The risk is that it seems sort of like I'm, you know, I don't want it to seem like I'm minimizing the real fallout that's happening. And so definitely as a hospital pediatrician, I'm seeing those severe cases that you're talking about or children with special needs who are losing services and having developmental regression or, or serious issues that are missed or things, you know, school is just so much for so many kids. Um, so that can't be understated or underestimated. Um, and I definitely see that. Um, it's kind of one of those situations where it's like the way to get all kids back into school is a little not, in, you know, it's a little counterintuitive because it's not so much like we just go back to school and everyone sort of just, you know, bucks up and does it. I really am a strong believer in having a much smarter, cohesive 
plan for how we return to society. And the problem with a, a pandemic or anything that has such public health implications like this is you know, school is just one tiny little silo in the sea of yeah. how we reopen. Yeah. Um, so even if parents are, it's frustrating, even if parents are doing everything exactly right, you know, and, and doing all the precautions and everything in school is going perfectly, if the community isn't buying into that, you know, it exactly. does spoil it for them. Right, right. And I, you know, I've become very vocal and frustrated with the fact that at the end of the day, when everyone says, why can't we open schools? Why can't we open schools? To me, it feels like it's really because a lot of the adults in our society are essentially failing our kids. You know, it should have been, in my opinion, one of the first things to be able to open safely, but we didn't prioritize it and we still don't take it seriously. You know, many people are doing great with masks and I'm so happy, especially you know, I see it at work, I see it in my right. community, and I'm grateful, but there are still places where something such a, to me, such a tiny little sacrifice, right. uh, you know, like a mild inconvenience that might let a generation of children go to school, right? you know, it's like get a it year together, earlier. Adults. Yeah, it's, you know, and I, I'm sympathetic, you know, people have sensory issues and anxiety. I'm an anxious person myself. So, you know, I get it. Masks are an adjustment. On the yeah. other hand... The science is just so compelling. It just keeps coming out and showing that if we could all just kind of get it together like this, this would be short term. It wouldn't be this back and forth that we're right. seeing with maybe a second surge and another peak. So I think that's that it, when we talk about what you can do to get your kids to school faster, it's really, I think, doubling down on how you act in the community and how you get your support system to really take this seriously. So if you've been following Dabbleco and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, It solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, So it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. And, you know, too, we we see in school, you know, my husband and I were talking about taking the temperatures every day when we go Mm -hmm. in. So, and just like, uh, you know, he was quoting the data about people that are and are not febrile with this. And I was like, listen, but (laughs) kids are the ones who, like, for example, my daughter, Halloween, we probably did more than we should have. We were not Mm -hmm. like out with a big group, but I mean, now I'm like, gosh, I feel bad. We were with friends because that night, so she had a headache that day. And then that night she had Mm -hmm. a fever like at like two o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, oh Mm -hmm. my God, because kids, they can't really tell, like they can't really explain, like, I feel sick. I don't feel good. She just said she had a headache and I was like, well, I don't, you know, got up at five o'clock like I would too, but (laughs) So I, I think there are things like that that people are, are not realizing, like, 
even if that keep catches one kid going in the door that yeah. like we just didn't realize they had a fever this morning or or whatever and and now I you know I'm like looking back on our choices and who we were around and we got her tested and she was negative but mm-hmm. still like I think we we want so badly for things to go back to normal that we kind of let our guard down and but I'm saying yeah. we like myself included in this we let our guard down yeah. and you know then it's like it, we need a scare to to kind of step yeah. back and say, okay, like that maybe that wasn't the best idea. We need to rethink that for next time, you know, smaller group or that wasn't a totally necessary activity. Maybe we should have just skipped it this year. Um, yeah. But it, and it's but hard. To be, to be, yeah, but to be fair to yourself and other parents and everyone listening, I, I mean, there has not been good guidance on this. There hasn't been uniform guidance. I'm not saying that the science isn't there. Yeah. You know, it is, but the messaging has been really challenging and True. people's behavior has been so inconsistent that you can start to feel like whatever you're doing is too much or too little if yeah. you start, you know, looking around. And, and that's just really an unfortunate situation we're in yeah. right now. No, and then it it makes you feel like, oh my God, what if, well, if we get it now, then what was the point of the last eight months? Yeah. Oh, I've had that thought too. I mean, I've had that scare where I had an almost exposure and I started crying and I was just like, well, why am I crying? Like, I know it's going to be okay. And it's like, well, I, I went through so much in the spring. I mean, I was, I was spraying my body with alcohol in my, (laughs) the trunk of my car. Wiping down every grocery thing, like every, everything. I mean, I was wearing an N95 for 10 hours a day some days, you know, at work. And I wouldn't let my daughter touch me until I showered. And I was like, it's going to be all that. And then it's just going to be someone in the community without a mask is going to get me sick. It feels like so unfair. But Um, that doesn't mean that was useless, that that time was like, I mean, we, we we had to do it. No, exactly, exactly. And I think that's like... That's sort of our bias looking back at things is we're always going to judge things, you know, with a different lens right. and, and hindsight being pun not intended 2020. 2020. <laughs> but it is. We're um. all Monday. Everybody's a Monday morning quarterback right yeah. now. Everybody. And, and yeah. particularly people who are not in healthcare who, you know, really have a lot of opinions and, and that yeah. it's just – my God, at the end of this day, this thing is brand new. I mean, yeah, this is just, but what's not brand new. And we've got to talk about this because I, I, did you see that tweet from a pediatrician in South Carolina that we're going to talk about the flu shot. So everybody prepare yourselves that (laughs) um, there's this tweet from this um, woman pediatrician in South Carolina that was like, what fresh 2020 hell is this that people, she's like, now I'm having to justify the flu shot because people think there's secretly the covid vaccine oh i saw that oh i saw that one my god are you seeing that well i you know being in the hospital i don't do as much flu count flu shot counseling although i bring it up with every single patient so it's not that i'm not talking about it i just tend not to have as many kind of well child visits where i'm coming in and saying you need the flu shot um and most people are saying either yes or i already got it in my community so that's been very reassuring so Um, can you talk about the just weight of the flu shot this year and why it's so important compared to even other years. It's important every year, but what are your thoughts about this year? Yeah. I mean, look, everything, the stakes are just ramped up for everything this year. This is not a normal time. Getting sick with a cold is going to have so many more implications for you and your family than you can even think of compared to the other years. You know, I recently had Um, my nanny just get like a cold, like get sick and had to quarantine just because 
you know, there was a fever and it could be COVID. Yeah. And the, and all of a sudden it's like, of course I'm nervous that there's COVID for like a little bit. And I want to make sure that my family's safe from that. But even once that clears, it's just like, oh gosh, I don't have childcare. And then I have to figure out if I get sick again, then I can't work for 14 days. And how does that work with my schedule and, and my making things, you know, like making my schedule up. Some people don't have that option and, and don't have the paid time off for it. And if a kid can't go to school or if a kid can't go to daycare, how's that going to affect your work? So, I mean, it's, it's just really just going to have so much more stress and so much more life lifestyle implications. You know, we used to, I can't remember a time when young kids and toddlers weren't sick all winter. The, you know, the right. the saying goes that it's going to be about like 50% of your winter when you go to daycare for the first time yeah. is going to be just being sick. Sick, yeah. And it's just true. They get, you know, kids get sick every few weeks and it can last a week and they're going to spend their whole winter essentially with a, even a fever, some runny nose, something like that. Right. It used to be 24 hours till you don't have a fever. Now it's going to be a whole different thing. Right. Um, so or that's you're going to have to get the kids tested constantly. I mean, I, I don't right. know how it's going to happen. And I don't know if you've had your kids COVID tested yet. We just did that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, my God, never again. It's, it's not fun. Oh, no. Oh. Um, but even from a health perspective. So, you know, the flu is not a joke. Um, right. I know there was at the beginning, there's been a lot of flu COVID comparison. Comparison, yes, yes. You know, this is worse than the flu. This is different than the flu. This vaccine will be like the flu vaccine. You know, I, it's very natural as people to want to compare to things we know. But the reality is it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. And yeah. there's no reason to compare this to the flu any more than there is to compare this to a different coronavirus or an adenovirus or a rhinovirus, you know, yeah. or a strep pneumo. I'm, I'm saying sort of, you know, buzzwords for pediatrics and medicine. But the reality is the flu is what we know. And it's something that has a seasonality to it that can be really severe. So I understand comparing it. Um, But I don't know how helpful that is in comparing it. It's just important to know that the flu is really serious. You know, I tell people all the time not to scare them, but just to be real, I've seen three children die from the flu, like seeing it with my eyes. That's what Um, I think people forget. I think when we started this whole thing comparing it to the flu, I was like, "Um, yeah, okay, well, like welcome to every year in medicine. We're like, hey, guys. The flu kills people. A lot yeah. of people, like, please get your flu yeah. shot. Several hundred children per year, right? Like two or three hundred? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a few years ago, when my, I know when my daughter was born, it was extremely high mortality. It was a really bad year. Yeah. And I didn't take her on an airplane. We were an airplane away from family. I wouldn't take her until flu season was over because the data was so bad. The mortality yeah. was so terrible. And she couldn't get her flu shot, you know, because she was under six, six months six old. months, right. Yeah, so I was just like, no. And my family was like, we get it. We're not going to see you until then. I mean, it sucks, but we're not going to see you. Um, but that was such a no-brainer. I mean, the flu is so much more severe than COVID in children, just from a clinical perspective, how sick they get. And right. You know, same for elderly is obviously COVID is very severe, but the flu is too. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's serious. It's just all the, all the diseases, you know, the viruses and bacteria we have vaccines for, they're all worth preventing. That's the reality. You know, vaccines go through really rigorous testing um, and they go through lots of, lots of years of development. If the disease is not worth preventing, the vaccine doesn't come out. That's right. just the reality of it. So, 
you know, we've had, yes, we can talk a lot about the efficacy of the flu and how it changes year to year and the strains and the drift and all of that. But the protection it provides is, you know, leaps and bounds outweighing the inconvenience of getting it. I mean, it is worth having that protection, um, even in a non-COVID year. So I've never viewed it as anything other than just, yeah, every year we get our flu shot. I mean, it's just what we do. It's just so, so like you said, there, there's going to be so many more questions initially, and we're talking about trying to get kids back to school. And, you know, what's interesting too, is I think we forget that we also close schools when there's a high number of flu, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, where, where is the outrage with that? Like, (laughs) I mean, that's, we do that every year. I mean, our school closed last year briefly and then like entire counties are closing. I mean, when the flu gets really out of control, we close schools for that too. I mean, so it's just, I think it's just another added layer of, Hey, if you want to get these kids back to school safely and do whatever you can to keep people well and, you know, not question whether they're sick or whether they can go back to school or not, then, you know, get them the flu yeah. shot. It's just, right. man, it's tough. No, but what? Yeah. Oh, I was going to no, say, I what? Just, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just agreeing with all of that. And, you know, I just always like to come at it from a place of understanding and empathy because yeah. I'm a parent. It's terrifying, especially these days where, like you're saying, people are using science or manipulating science in all sorts of ways where it really does feel like it's it's not clear what's safe and who to trust. So I really do get that. Um, I just, as the irony of all of this vaccine conversation has always been that they're probably the best tested and safest thing we have in medicine and right. the most important thing. So I'm happy to talk about it with any patient, any parent and go through why I think this is safe and effective. But yeah. if you just need my, you know, my one liner, my stamp, it's that these vaccines are so important. And yeah. when you get it, you're just making a good parenting choice. Um, yeah. And we and understand okay questions. Yeah, yeah. the fear, fear and questions. I think it's, totally fine to have questions it it, what what I think is is hard is we don't have the time in Mm -hmm. like a 15 minute well check 20 minute well check you know and and that's sad I mean that's a that's a reflection on a million different things about you know the system that is American medicine but you know parents have questions they're nervous and you know your pediatrician probably doesn't have time to answer all your questions in the appointment and so then you turn to the internet and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you find things that and so much is anecdotal right and so you see all these parents see anecdotes and then they're then all of a sudden they're they're terrified yeah um and it's just what still baffles me the main thing that still baffles me though is is the is the autism thing I mean I I Mm -hmm. I I, and it's what's funny is I don't even know that everyone realizes where that came from. Mm. So I want to touch on that briefly because I think sure. people f- actually don't realize like how this whole autism connection myth came to be. So yeah. in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a physician in England, Andrew Wakefield, who, by the way, like speaking of, you know, big pharma, he literally like worked for this company that or was working with this company that was developing a vaccine that had to do with the research he was publishing. Mm-hmm. And he literally like you can say this now, we don't have to say alleged fraud or like allegedly like it was found in a court of law. He was convicted of fraud. 
he literally falsified this information that mm-hmm. connected the MM, part of the MMR vaccine with autism. That paper was retracted. He went to jail. He lost his medical license. Mm-hmm. However, you know, I mean, just as well as anybody, that that one thing still perseveres 20, 30 years later. Yeah. And people are still not fully convinced that it doesn't cause autism. Right. Or I mean, the vaccines it's, it's, in general don't cause autism. Yeah, yeah, and especially the MMR, but really any. Or sometimes they point towards thimerosal, which is a different, you know, conversation. Right. And there's all sorts of nuance to this. But no, you're right. The reality is that this was, you know, someone who unfortunately is still speaking now. Like he yes. did those and I, Ma- I he mean, makes millions wild. of dollars now as an anti-vax speaker. I know. Um, I mean, it's just it's so horrible. But he, um, yes, he had this. So his study was what we call a case series which is one of, you know, it's an important thing to publish in medicine, but it's not like a study the way that you might think of it. It's not like a trial where you give a vaccine right. and then see what happens. It's just Basically like talk- a report, right? Like a, yeah. just, here's 12 it, people and here's It was exactly 12. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, it was exactly 12 people. And he said, these 12 kids who had the MMR, you know, were diagnosed with autism. And that's about all the paper said. And so, yes, it was retracted. It was falsified. We can discredit it. But let's, you know, adding a layer of, of some nuance to how we interpret data and how we, how we trust or don't trust the information we're getting, even if it's presented to us through a scientific lens, um, you know, that is not strong data. That is not a compelling study to me. Right. That, if I saw a study like that in my daily practice and we were presenting it with other doctors and, and other people, and we might say, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if there are any other better studies that will show me that this is true or this is not true. And what happened was those studies were done, like a lot of them to the point that millions of children have now had, you know, analysis and data and had studies that include them and they've all shown no link. So you have, you know, if you're looking at the scale, you have a, a 12 child case series, which is an interesting but not particularly compelling type of study. And then you have millions, like a million children <laughs> on the other end. <laughs> just people are always like, do you mean thousand? I'm like, no, I mean no, million. No. Literally millions. All over the world. Not just not just in America. Like yeah. uh, globally right. millions. Millions and millions and millions of children. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um just saying no. So that should have closed the you know closed the book on that. Um, but unfortunately, you know, being nervous about vaccines, being against vaccines is much, you know, is much more in, entrenched than that, I guess is the right yeah. word. It's, it's not just about that because the, the reality is every time that something is changed with a vaccine or debunked with a vaccine myth, myth there is a new thing that comes up. So, right. right. You know, it just we we understand now, or and we're trying to increasingly understand that it's not about those individual questions yeah. for most for most people. I mean, I am happy again, like I said, to sit if I have time and talk to you about every single myth and ingredient. But I think the bigger question that you know parents should be asking themselves is, you know, not what are the claims that you're worried about or the safety things, but kind of why are you questioning this at all? Not in a judgmental way, but in a, you know, who is making you question this and what motives do they have? And who is, who is saying it's okay and what motives do they have? And that's an incredible point. Like what, what do you think, do you trust your pediatrician Yeah, and, and your doctors and, and 
I mean, I, re- I really mean that. Like, if, you, if you're if you there and you feel like they have your child's best interest at heart, I'm, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know what makes people question it. Maybe big, big farm. I mean, people think, you know, you literally get paid for vaccines. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, again, questioning the establishment is good. Medicine is has a really complicated history, has a Absolutely. really dark history. Sure. There is a ton of racism that we're even just scratching the surface of. There is a lot of oppression. There's a lot of dismissing people and parents and, and yeah. you know, people in pain and women. Um, and we have a reckoning for sure. And I'm the first person to say, like, no, don't don't just take our word for it, post, you know, point blank. Like, definitely ask and push. But on the other hand, when you have a different group of people who also clearly has or maybe even more so has our ulterior motives, financial gain and and is, is looking to sell you something, whether that's fear in their brand or whether it's an actual product, which is very right. common. Yes. Um, you know, why are we not questioning them as much? And it's because they've managed to put pediatricians on the defensive because yeah. they're they're pretty clever. And it's really sad because, you know, I'm not winning. Parents aren't winning. You know, it's it's essentially you talked about big pharma. There's I like to say there's big nature too that we should be skeptical of. Oh, there's big, the big wellness. natural group. Yeah, look yeah, at Joseph Merkula. Yeah, big so, wellness. Yeah, Mer- Mer- is the big the most successful anti vax example. Yeah. yeah. And he he is how his wellness company where he sells supplements and all the uh, you know, all this quote unquote natural stuff. Yeah. I mean, he he is worth literally billions. I mean, he billions. is a billionaire many times over. Yeah. And and I just I don't know if people don't know that or don't realize that it's it's very I mean we were talking about I was talking to a friend earlier today about echo chambers right like you get in this mm-hmm. echo chamber where mm-hmm. like we're in a science echo chamber I think we're yeah like, yeah you know we only hear about how terrible COVID is and how or whatever it is like the flu and you know we love vaccines and we love science and so we you forget but I think there's an, an echo chamber on the other side too not I think yeah. I know where you know first of all, social media and the internet is smarter than we are, right? Like, so you're, yeah. you're literally being fed what it thinks you're, you're going to be the most interactive with and what it thinks mm-hmm. you're going to be the most interested in. And so I think people get in these echo chambers and they, they forget where these people come from. Like Andrew Wakefield was being paid by the vaccine company and that he started, you know, the, mm-hmm. that he did the study for. Dell Bigtree makes millions of dollars speaking, you know, as an anti-vaxxer. And then you have Joseph Mm -hmm. Merkel, same billionaire. I mean, but yet big pharma is the problem. I I don't understand that. And I wish that I could understand the logic because I, it's, it's soul crushing for me, but. I mean, you know, these people are smart and they also have the time to do this. They have the resources to do this. Right. They don't have the same standards to uphold themselves to. You know, in medicine, we, we're we not all perfect. We're not all as scrupulous as we could be. But for the most part, I can't give a poster presentation without saying every single potential conflict of interest I have. Your disclosures. Um, and, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, I can't, um, you know, I won't give a medication that hasn't gone through third-party FDA testing and, and gone through, you know, I can't just say, Oh, the makers of you know Percocet have decided that um, it's safe. So here you go. When that yeah. you know people got appropriately outraged about that. Yeah. Um, so, but you're having products and other people who are essentially saying this isn't medicine. It's it's in a different category, and I don't have to uphold myself to those standards. And once you remove that level of you know sort of scrupulousness, 
you can kind of just come out with whatever message you want. And I think there are definitely some really well-intentioned people out there who are very interested in alternative medicines and very interested in studying it. I have colleagues who are physicians who are very interested in saying, no, I actually, I think, you know, these natural remedies have, have a role. I think think we need to study them. Yeah. Yeah. Like let's, let's put them in our labs. Let's do these things. Let's get on the same page. Um, But other companies like Highland, like Mercola are very deliberately and openly saying, no, we're not going to do that. You know, take our word for it. And I think that's, that should immediately be a red flag for you of, you know, why, why doesn't someone want to uphold themselves to the highest standards? Yeah. I think, you know, in medicine for the most part, and does this stuff happen with, you know, physicians or NPs, PAs, whoever it is, like where, you know, they essentially don't uphold the same ethical standards. Yeah. It happens in every field, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the most part, we're a community. And I think there's a part of that where we hold each other accountable, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, so it's just super interesting. But I, while we're here on the subject of natural and, and remedy things, I told you I wanted to talk a little bit about elderberry because I think I get mm-hmm. a million questions a, a week about that. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Because um, there is so so elderberry. I know so many people want to want to give that to their kids because it seems like yeah. a really good natural, you know, probably harmless in certain yeah. settings thing that things that we can give to, you know, what we think is potentially help fight colds and flu. Yeah. And it was interesting. I, I didn't know this, but, um, Kelly Frazier posted something about, um, elderberry possibly being detrimental in COVID versus yeah, maybe yeah. being helpful for the flu. Yeah. Well, I, I think, so there's, yeah, we could, let's definitely go into that data for sure. Um, cause that is an important point. I just, I think kind of the, the bigger framework that I'm trying to hint at and get to when we're talking about just big pharma versus big nature versus big wellness. I think that really holds true here. And, and even taking another step back, um, there's something called the naturalistic fallacy, which I don't know if you've heard of or, or I haven't heard it called that. No, it's, it's my favorite, and by my favorite, and I mean least, I mean favorite. least favorite. Okay. <laughs> it's my least okay. favorite thing, but it's my favorite thing to talk about because there is just an innate human tendency, um, and this helps make make you know helps us realize that this isn't our fault. This is just kind of evolutionary and innate. Right. We tend to think that things that are natural are better. Are be- okay, yes, yeah. I didn't know it had and an actual a name. Okay, so the na- naturalistic yeah, naturalistic fallacy. fallacy. Okay, that's you, be my new like catchphrase. I love it. It is. It's great because. Are, we like to equate natural um, with morality. It's just yes. like pretty universal across cultures. It's been going on since the dawn of time. I mean, we could go into the history of the smallpox vaccine and how there was a huge amount of vaccine hesitancy. Then everyone, you know, because they said they, they said the same things about toxins and injections and it not being normal and natural. And then when it eradicated smallpox, people were super into it. And then when we didn't see smallpox, then people didn't take it again because they didn't see the right. threat of the disease. So yeah. this has been pretty cyclical for, um, decades, for our whole yeah. history. Yeah. yeah. I mean, centuries, honestly. Yeah. Um, so the thing with the naturalistic fallacy, though, when we talk about supplements is that there is going to be this pull that an herb or a, a vitamin or a supplement isn't a medicine. It's a it's a natural remedy. Right. And it's taken me a lot of research, a lot of years, and just, you know, a lot of conversations being a parent myself 
to really actively reframe how I look at these things and say, well, everything's a medicine. I mean, you'll have people say literally everything, everything. I mean, if you put it on your skin, if you put it in your body, if you put it in the air around you, it's some sort of medicine. It's a connection of molecules and atoms that come together. It's all chemicals. I mean, and your body's going to react to it, whatever it is. Yeah. And so there's going to be a risk of, of some sort of effect from it. And then there's going to be a potential benefit. And there's nothing about being made in a lab versus coming from a directly from the plant itself that changes the structure of it. Yeah. Um, or that makes it inherently safer. I mean, yeah. things that are supernatural, whether they're diseases or plants or herbs, definitely have killed people throughout history. Things that are super unnatural yeah. have saved billions of lives. So it just kind of reframing that whole conversation, I think is the first step for any of this. Because I always tell parents and I tell myself when you're saying, oh, I want to try this supplement, I want to try this thing. The question is, well, is this something worth giving a medicine for? Does this, yeah. does my kid need a medicine? Because if you say, no, I wouldn't give, I don't want a medicine for this, then, you know, that includes the supplements and you don't really have to let yourself go down that rabbit hole of, of who's, you know, selling what elderberry or what immune boosting thing, you know, yeah. if you think your kid really doesn't need it. Um, and so for me, that kind of takes care of the conversation of, should they be taking some sort of immune boosting daily supplement, like for prevention? Because the reality is kids who have, you know, a pretty normal balanced diet, and if you want to throw a multivitamin in just in case, sure. Um, you, most kids don't need it, but if you did, that's, you know, well-regulated vitamins are totally fine. Um, that's as immune boosting as it gets. There's yeah. really been no evidence to show that other things you know, whether it's zinc or elderberry or any sort of other quote-unquote omega-3s or fish oils, like those don't actually boost your immune system. Right. So I think once you take that off the table, the question is, well, if I get the flu or if I get COVID or my kid gets the flu or gets COVID, is there something that should treat it? And, you know, yes, I mean, if your kid has the flu and they're sick, it would be great if there were a a good medicine for that. And I think the conversation of of elderberry or Tamiflu is kind of the same conversation. Yeah. I would view them as the same thing. They're both medicines that have, you know, risks and benefits. Well, and like you were saying earlier in our, before we talked a little bit before this and like it, there's at least safety data and formal testing on something like Tamiflu. So yeah. if you want to, if you want to take it, you at least, you know, we know the risks, yeah. we know the outcomes. If you don't want to take it, that's fine too. Whereas something mm-hmm. like elderberry, at least, for now has not been formally tested. There are no, at least not that I know of elderberry clinical trials. There are no, right. you know, testing its, its efficacy and effectiveness for kids. And there's no, like you said, long-term safety data. So we don't yeah. know what happens to kids who are on elderberry supplements in 20 years. You know, we, we just, yeah. we just don't know. And so there's some, some things that, and maybe, you know, it maybe we're not saying like, don't, you know, don't give it to your kids. If you're giving it to your kids, I, you know, that's fine. My kids took it for a while. And then when the COVID data came out saying that it actually might be more detrimental in COVID, I was like, oh, gosh, why are we even taking that? We're going to stop. So like, <laughs> well, that's it. But that's the exact reflection. It's like, why am I doing this? Right. You know? Right. And, and pediatric medicine is like a very data poor 
part of medicine. It's one of the challenges is it's very hard to do studies on kids from an right. ethical perspective. We have very little like pregnancy, data. Same in pregnancy. Yeah, right? like exactly. We're not going to test the kids. We're not going to do that to them. Right. I, I can't put a bunch of kids and say, here, try this experimental medicine, you right. know, if I know that something else is safer. So it's really, it's very challenging. And obviously it's hard to do that with adults too. It's just, they can, adults can consent to it. And it's just a really different story. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think what you're saying is just thinking about the risks and benefits of yeah. of what of what you're trying to give for your, your kids and, and not having that safety data, which we really don't for elderberry and children, and most of the supplements are not FDA regulated. You know, the benefits I'm sure have you know could be there. In adults it's shown a few days decrease in duration of flu symptoms in trials. Yeah. Um it's very small um sample size. I don't think you could draw like huge conclusions from it. Yeah. But again, it's one of those studies. If I saw it, I would say, oh, that's interesting. Let's do more research. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we can make some sort of supplement that is FDA regulated and approved and shown to be safe in kids. To me, the you know, everything changes in different situations. When a kid is in the hospital and they're really sick, I'm more likely to give them Tamiflu because I really yeah. think that I need to get them better faster and, and the belly aches and the side effects might be worth it if they're on a, you know, God forbid they're on a breathing tube or they're really sick with the flu. If my kid is at home, you know, with the flu and is really sick, but, but otherwise, you know, safe and okay, I'm probably not going to give Tamiflu or prescribe Tamiflu. Um, right. And so it's not it's, worth the, the side effects. Yeah, exactly. And so it would be the same conversation to me with elderberry when you're talking with your, and always talk to your pediatrician. I mean, if you have, hopefully you have a pediatrician you can connect with and, and bring up these, these nuanced questions, even on a, you know, televisit and you can do a special visit just for this. It doesn't have to all be, you know, thrown into your well check, which I know is, is how I, as a parent tend to do things too. Like how many things can we fit in? yeah, I'm like 30 more questions and then, then you can go to the next room. <laughs> just, just a few hundred more questions. Um, but you can have a, you know, a visit for any of this stuff um, and really start to go through this. But the, the question is always going to be, is there enough compelling evidence that this seems like the benefits are going to outweigh the risks in this situation? Yeah, Because um, sure. every situation is different. So my short answer is I, I'm not a huge fan of elderberry just because in most cases I don't think it's going to have – like a pretty obvious benefit over potential risks, yeah. you know, until there's more safety data. On the other hand, if, if there's a family who feels really strongly about it, um, if there's a way to get one that's a little more regulated and, and make sure you're staying in close contact with your pediatrician just throughout the cold and flu season, you know, that's, that's a range of acceptable yeah. choices, I think. Yeah. Well, man, Rebecca, this has been awesome. Um, like super, super helpful. I think people are going to love all this info. We'll have to do it again. Please. I could do this all day. I know. I'm like, I I would keep talking, but I'm like, we've been talking for 45 minutes and I just know people won't listen past like 50. I'm like, "Mm, 50 minutes is about like the golden time. You guys, we all have like very short attention spans, but um, I would love to do this again. This was so helpful. And, um, I think people are going to love it. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really just delighted to be talking about all this. I'm always here to chat more. Um, questions are great. You know, pediatricians are not judging your questions. We love them. We want to talk about them. Oh yeah. So speaking of questions, where can people find you? Um, so I'm on Instagram. It's parent like a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I won't spell it out. I think all the words are pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty spellable. Yeah. You, um, and that's the best way to get to me. Um, I have a website too, but feel free to send me a DM or, or just follow. I have a bunch of safe stories and posts that go through a lot of this stuff as well. Yeah, you have, she has great info. So um, as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please rate it, subscribe, share it with your friends. Um, that is how people find us. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.